evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump asked to surrender following the New York grand jury's indictment. Trump and his lawyers responding. More on what it means and what comes next for the former president. And we hear from Trump's spokesperson who tells us how the former president is feeling and more about his plans. And we have deep analysis from an investigative journalist on the latest developments. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appears to be standing behind Trump over his recent indictment. Meanwhile, lawmakers in his state are working to clear the way for him to run for president. Surveying tornado damage in Mississippi, President Biden announces federal aid and urges people to have hope. We'll bring you more from the ravaged areas. The CDC says some of their investigators fell ill while studying the Ohio train derailment. This raising new concerns over the impact of toxic chemicals on the local community. For the first time in history, a former president is facing criminal charges. Donald Trump's lawyer says they plan to plead not guilty. Many Republicans are throwing support behind Trump. Democrats are sticking to the message that no one is above the law, while the White House falls silent. NTD's Melina Weiskup has that story. Details of the specific charges remain under seal, but former President Trump's lawyers dismissing the case say they plan to plead not guilty. We'll go in there um, and we'll proceed to see a judge at some point, plead not guilty, um, start talking about filing motions, which we will do immediately. The allegations are that the former president gave $130,000 in illegal payments to an adult film actress during his 2016 campaign. It's not even a crime. I'm not even sure what it is. It's, it's, it's barely a misdemeanor. They did this with his first impeachment, his second impeachment. New York investigated the case for months. After the indictment, District Attorney Alvin Bragg said he contacted Trump's attorney to coordinate his surrender to the Manhattan DA's office for arraignment. Now the former president is expected to appear in the New York court on Tuesday where security has heightened. He could be subject to several hours of detention while being fingerprinted and photographed. Trump calling it a display of weaponizing our justice system to punish a political opponent while President Biden stays silent. No, I, I'm not going to talk about something like Democrats on Capitol Hill, meanwhile, sticking to the message. Uh, this is, I think, an affirmation of the principle that no one is above the law. Trump this afternoon sending out a lengthy statement listing Republicans' words of support from longtime allies to 2024 presidential opponents. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States for a campaign finance issue is an outrage. Top House Republicans are trying to use their oversight authority to probe the legitimacy of this indictment. Chairman Jim Jordan, James Comer and Brian Steele recently wrote to District Attorney Bragg requesting for him to testify and also hand over all documents related to his investigation into former President Trump. The chair, the congressmen are asking for documents that date all the way back from January 1st of 2017 to the present. The Republicans call this indictment an unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority. In response, the general counsel for the DA says that this case against Trump was brought against him by the citizens of New York and Trump does have the right to challenge these charges, which he is expected to do next week. New York Supreme Court confirms he's scheduled to appear at 2.15 p.m. on Tuesday. 
Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. And Trump's lawyer said today that Trump won't take a plea deal and that he won't be handcuffed. And earlier today, I heard from his spokesperson, Liz Harrington, who tells us how the former president is feeling about it all and more. Let's see that now. Liz Harrington, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Trump says that he's a victim of extortion in this indictment. Can you explain that? Well, sure. I mean, this is a totally sham case uh, that's never been brought in the history of our country. And in fact, he never had an affair with this woman. This is all stemming from, you know, a nuisance complaint that was settled privately, which, you know, many public figures have dealt with over the years, many politicians. I mean, you look at the history, Bill Clinton and settled some very legitimate claims that were made against him while he was in office, and no one ever tried to go after him this way. Right. Now, Trump not only says that he's innocent, but that this indictment is bad for America. Could you tell us more about how President Trump is feeling about this situation and what it means for the country? Well, look, personally, he's feeling good. He's fine, because he knows he's done nothing wrong. But for the country, He's not feeling good. He's feeling very sad for our country because he knows how how crucial this line they crossed is. And this is marks a, a turning point that we've never had as a constitutional republic. It turns us, in fact, into a banana republic. If this can happen uh, to the most popular incumbent president in the history of the United States, this can happen to anyone. But they've actually crossed a line here that is so... Uh, enormous and really you can't turn back from. When you think of the standing in the world, that America is now no different than some tin pot dictatorship or banana republic, that's a very dangerous place for, for not just our country and our citizens, but the entire world. And Trump's attorney has vowed to challenge the case using the facts, but Trump has said that he believes he won't get a fair trial in New York. What will Trump's next move be if he does ultimately get charged? I absolutely think uh, getting a dismissal and also if this horrific case would try to they try to sham, uh, slam this through and try to do it in New York City, we would definitely fight and get a change of venue because we, we've clearly seen he would not be able to get a fair trial uh, in that city. And that's why they're really wielding the uh, justice system against their political opponents. They're choosing venues that, you know, people who... Uh, are on the conservative end of the spectrum or just the common sense end of the spectrum cannot get a fair hearing, cannot get a jury of their peers in these venues that they're choosing. And Trump says that he'll press on with his presidential campaign. What kind of effect do you think the trial will have on his presidential run? Well, he's not going to be deterred. He is going to continue to fight for the American people. And we can already see the people are rallying behind him. They were outside Mar-a-Lago. Uh, last night, uh, the people are really, I think, more determined and have more resolve than ever. They they see what's going on. They see they they see a country that they no longer recognize. And the more they attack President Trump, the more it's clear that it's not even about him. It, it's about all of our rights if we're going to still remain a free country. And so I think this will propel us even more. People are realizing there's only one reason why they come after him so much is because they fear him because he has tens and tens of millions of people behind him in the greatest political movement our country's ever seen. And they want to put a stop to that. 
uh, but the movement's going to grow because of this. All right, Liz Harrington, spokesperson for former President Donald Trump. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And next, we'll examine Trump's indictment with the host of Epic TV's Over the Target, Lee Smith. He's an investigative journalist who's also authored a book called The Plot Against the President, the true story of how Congressman Devin Nunes uncovered the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. I spoke with Smith earlier today. Lee Smith, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure to be with you today. Now, Lee, critics are saying Trump's indictment echoes the moves used in dictatorships to take down political opponents. You've investigated the operations behind the Russia hoax. Do you see this indictment as an extension of that? Yes, absolutely. It's it's the continuation, and I wouldn't quite say the culmination yet, but it's a continuation of a third world operation that began no later than July 5th, 2016, when Christopher Steele uh, first started passing on uh, uh, notes from his from the bogus dossier that was funded by the Clinton campaign and supported. We have to remember, this is often forgotten, but it was supported by Barack Obama's spy chiefs, right? That's who was involved in pushing the operation. John Brennan, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, James Clapper. These were Barack Obama's spy chiefs. It's an intelligence operation. Now, Democrats are saying that no one's above the law and that Trump should be tried for his actions just like anyone else. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's nonsense. We know that the 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 that the Department of Justice uh, passed on these passed on these charges. They knew that there was nothing there. So that the idea that the district attorney from the city of New York is picking up these charges, this isn't about anyone being above the law uh, or below the law. It's a political prosecution. Of course, the Democrats are going to say that. And as for people being uh, as for people being above the law, I mean, Hunter Biden's Hunter Biden's record of uh, alleged crimes is plain for anyone to see in the laptop that he left in a Delaware repair shop in 2019. Now, turning to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and the DNC, they've settled out of court for allegations of campaign finance violations over the Steele dossier. How is Trump's case different, or is this a double standard here? It's not a double standard. It's very important for people to understand, because I know that this will be one of the things that Republicans and conservatives will be claiming in the days, weeks, months, and years to come that it's hypocritical, there are two standards of law, et cetera. This has nothing to do with hypocrisy. This is a third world operation to target political opponents. The idea that somehow the Democrats are going to turn around at that now and go like, wait, you know, actually Hillary Clinton did the same thing and, and, and we, no one prosecuted her. I guess we shouldn't prosecute Donald Trump. Is It's, it's, it's wish casting, right? People <laughs> need to realize what's happening here. And it's a tragedy for the United States. It's a tragedy for the world, in fact. But that's where we are right now. It's a third world political prosecution. We have to immediately drop all sorts of accusation and thoughts of hypocrisy, that calling out hypocrisy is going to solve any problems here. It will not. Okay. And now many people are saying that this indictment proves what Trump has been saying all along and that it will make him a martyr. Do you expect this to help his presidential run? Uh, I mean, it's, it'll certainly boost him in the polls, and 
it will likely, you know, continue to give him an advantage over his uh, primary rivals. But I've heard different people saying, oh, we'll nearly certainly ensure his victory in 2024. I'm hardly as optimistic as that. Look, I mean, these people are determined to destroy the Republican frontrunner. That's what the indictment is about. They were determined to destroy him in office. They undermined him. Uh, I, 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 I think you have to disbelieve all the bits of evidence that we've seen over the last six years, somehow that the Democrats and the intelligence services and the media combined will allow Donald Trump to, to win in 2024. They'll pull out all stops. They've already pulled out all stops. I think it's only going to get worse from here. And some people are saying that certain actors want to provoke Trump supporters into a second January 6th. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's probably likely. It's about the intelligence services. People need to understand what's happening here. This is how intelligence services around the world work. If people want to understand where we are and where we're going, I highly recommend studying how third world regimes run nation states. This is no longer about a constitutional order. It's no longer about law and order or due process or anything like that. It's how intelligence services run the world and the different things that they do to uh, to virtually imprison their own populations, anything from false flag attacks to terrorism. I think we, uh, we might be looking at a whole host of instruments that our intelligence services will use against the American public, in particular Donald Trump supporters, as, as well as Donald Trump himself. All right, Lee Smith, author of Plot Against the President and host of Over the Target, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Florida lawmakers are clearing the way for Governor Ron DeSantis to run for president and still keep his position as governor. And though Trump would be his main competitor, DeSantis appears to be standing behind the former president over his recent indictment. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. When you do what's right, uh, that is not cost-free. Leadership is not cost-free. So we talk about the courage to be free is the title of the book. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's book tour has allowed him to act like a presidential candidate without officially declaring for office. On Thursday, he gave a speech in Georgia that was mostly about his policies as Florida governor that he says led to his landslide victory to be re-elected as governor. I had people that disagreed with me on some things, sometimes even a lot, but maybe I was there to save their job when they needed me. Maybe I was there to stand up for something they cared about, and so they were supportive of me. But DeSantis still hasn't officially declared he's running for president. Currently, Florida law says DeSantis would have to resign from being governor if he runs for president. But with Republicans controlling both chambers in Florida with super majorities, they are now taking steps to change that law. On Thursday, the Florida Senate filed a bill that would allow DeSantis to remain as governor if he runs for president. And although former President Trump would be DeSantis's main competition, DeSantis appears to be standing with Trump over his recent indictment. DeSantis tweeted this on Thursday. The Soros-backed Manhattan district attorney has consistently bent the law to downgrade felonies and to excuse criminal misconduct. Yet now he's stretching the law to target a political opponent. He added that Florida won't assist in extraditing Trump. 
A common trend among Soros-backed DAs is establishing policies to not prosecute entire segments of crimes, such as theft under a certain value and nonviolent crimes more broadly. And meanwhile, in Florida, Disney is now pushing back. DeSantis's recent move to put a state-appointed board to govern Disney World's property might not go as he planned. Shortly before the new board was to take over, the old board transferred most of its powers and responsibilities to Disney itself, leaving the new board with little authority over Disney. The new state-appointed board said the move was unlawful and they may be headed to court with Disney. There's a lot of little back and forth going on now with the state taking control, but rest assured, uh, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's more to come in that regard. Jason Perry, NTD News. President Biden visited a ravaged town in Mississippi today announcing more federal help. This after last weekend's weather systems pummeled the southeast and killed over two dozen people. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. This is where you built your lives. And we're going to make sure you can stay right here. Vowing to rebuild ravaged communities, President Biden on Friday visited Mississippi, where a violent tornado last week killed at least two dozen people, including 13, in the small town of Rolling Fork alone. The effect was so devastating, unless you physically saw it, it's hard to believe. 13 lives lost. Standing in front of a pile of twisted metal and uprooted trees, President Biden announced that the federal government would cover the full cost of the state's emergency response. That includes clearing debris, paying overtime to responders, and more. 100% of the cost, not for the state, but for us, for 30 days. And then after that, we're not leaving either. There are now hundreds of federal personnel working on the ground to help communities rebuild. And President Biden touring one of the devastated communities says it's important for people to have hope. You gotta let people know there's reason for them to have hope. Because this is especially the people who lost somebody. Biden also announced that FEMA will set up disaster recovery centers to give more help to local residents. And weather forecasters say the stormy pattern across parts of the country will continue into the first week of April. Reporting from the White House, Iris Howe with TD News. And we have more updates on the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Several CDC investigators fell ill while studying the derailment. The CDC confirmed the news to CNN on Thursday. They said seven government investigators briefly fell ill in early March while studying the possible health impacts of the derailment. They were part of a team conducting a house-to-house -house survey in a nearby area. The investigators' symptoms included sore throats, headaches, coughing and nausea. These are consistent with what some residents experienced after the train derailment on February 3rd. The news comes amid assurances by government officials and Norfolk Southern that the air and drinking water in East Palestine are not hazardous to health. And coming up, he was once the darling of the Olympic Games as a double amputee sprinter. A decade later, Oscar Pistorius is up for parole in the murder of his girlfriend. And in lighter news, a family-owned restaurant has served customers for a whole century for its 100th birthday, the city of Los Angeles held a special celebration. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. 
Thank you, Steph. The men's Final Four is tomorrow, and for just the second time since the field expanded to 64 teams back in 1985, a pair of mid-majors will face off in the semis as Florida Atlantic faces San Diego State. FAU, though, looks like they belong in a major conference with their NCAA best 35-3 record. The Owls are an aggressive three-point shooting team that's actually used their rebounding to get this far, though. They'll have to rely on it for second chances against a tough San Diego State defense that's held their four opponents to 40% shooting or less in every game. The later game features UConn, which ran through the tough West region with four double-digit wins, including a dismantling of Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. They'll have their hands full with a streaking Miami team that was the best three-point shooting team in the ACC. Look for FAU, though, and UConn to outlast their opponents and advance to the finals. And in international sports, double amputee Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius had his parole denied Friday and will remain in prison for at least another 16 months. Pistorius, who advanced the semis of the 400-meter sprint in the 2012 games, was sentenced to 13 years and five months for the murder of his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, in 2017. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, a big night in the NBA, 13 games, including a possible playoff preview as a top seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets play at the new look Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant now finally healthy. Meanwhile in baseball, a slow day, just five games all tonight, including a Mets-Marlins matchup without Justin Verlander as the reigning Cy Young winner is on the injured list with a shoulder sprain. Instead, they'll start David Peterson against Miami's Jesus Lazardo. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL is just four games, but that includes the Dallas Stars and winger Jason Robertson, whose 41 goals are eighth in the NHL. They play at the Arizona Coyotes. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And finally, a restaurant in Los Angeles has served customers through the U.S. prohibition, early Hollywood glamour, and into the 2000s. And this year, the family-owned business is celebrating its 100th anniversary. NTD's Jackie Rios learned about the shop's history and story from the current owner and family members. The legendary Mexican restaurant El Cholo was honored by the Los Angeles City Council and the Los Angeles Department of Transportation today. El Cholo was Los Angeles' first Mexican restaurant. Ron Salisbury, the owner of the restaurant chain, is also the grandson of its founders. There's 100 years behind me, and some amazing, wonderful things have happened, and it's almost a lifetime, and there's so many good things that so many people have. Yeah, it's really wonderful now to take the time and look back and see the people that come through my lives, the wonderful things that happened, the people I've met. The 90-year-old said his grandparents were very special and impactful to him. He leaves his business to the younger generation. His son, 35-year-old Brendan Salisbury, is the CFO of El Cholo's family of restaurants. We're trying to make this year a celebration, and this is just one part of the celebration to, to honor the past and, you know, still have fun in the present right now. What do we have here? This, this, are these one of the classics for El Cholo? Yes, we saw one of the most popular food we have. Actually, it's something new we have here, the mole enchiladas with the chicken inside and a specialty, the cilantro rice. It's really good. The name El Cholo refers to what the Spanish settlers in California call their field hands. And now the restaurant has become a place of comfort for people from all walks of life. I was introduced to El Cholo by Jack Nicholson in 1969. 
He brought me here. And even though I'm from L.A., I had never been to El Cello. And he said, this is the restaurant that kept me alive when I was a struggling actor. I've been with El Cholo for 25 years. Well, the family that I work for, the Salisbury family, it's a good family to work for. They're, um, they're very good people, they're, uh, and we love them. Uh, and they care for, for the employees and they care for, for their guests. As part of the celebration, the city renamed an intersection to Alejandro and Rosa Barquez Square to honor the restaurant's founders. In addition, the restaurant is launching their charitable gift campaign benefiting pediatric cancer research. They will donate the money to LA Children's Hospital and Orange County's Children's Hospital. Jackie Rios, NTD News, California. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.